Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. What makes you a good citizen? I'm a naturalised citizen of Australia and here's my certificate to prove it. I'm also a British citizen, so I get to enjoy all the benefits of being British and uh, the benefits of being a European, uh, well, maybe not that anymore, but being a citizen of a country gives you rights and guarantees, doesn't it? It also gives you responsibilities. So being an Australian means I have a responsibility to follow the authorities and the law of the land for the benefit of the country as a whole. So when people were stockpiling toilet rolls, what did we say it was? We didn't call it undignified or we didn't call it unfair. We called it un-Australian. And I bring up citizenship because I've called this new series in Philippians Gospel Citizens. Why? Well, chapter 1, verse 27 is like a key verse that sums up the message of this letter. It says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The words conduct yourselves in a manner worthy there translate one ancient Greek command word, polytevomai, which means literally be a citizen of or live your life. So Paul is telling the Christians in Philippi, to citizenize the gospel, to be gospel citizens. In other words, to have their identity, their sense of self, and flowing from that how they live, centered on, wrapped up in, and all about Jesus. Philippi was a Roman colony, um, and it was in what is now Southern Greece. And they had the rights and privileges of being a Roman citizen. So they would have been acutely aware of, of what being a citizen meant. And this letter comes to them from the Apostle Paul. He's writing from prison, probably in Rome. And to get the full background about Philippi and the church there, read Acts 16. Uh, Paul had headed there after God had told him to in a dream, and it was the first ch church planted in mainland Europe. It was a church founded in persecution and opposition from the get-go but also alongside that amazing stories of conversion and growth as well. And it would always have been easier for the Philippians to give up on Jesus. 
and give up on Paul. But this letter is so full of joy and thanks and affection because they never did give up on him. They were still partners in the gospel with him. So here's an outline as we look at the start of this letter. Verses 1 and 2, Paul establishes his and their gospel identity. Verses 3 to 6, Paul gives thanks for their gospel partnership. Verses 7 and 8, we'll look at Paul's emotion and feeling, his gospel love. And finally, verses 9 to 11, looking forward to gospel fruit. And in all this gospel, the word gospel is shorthand for Jesus and the good news about him that our trust and faith is in. So Paul's intention in writing here and my intention in preaching is to keep pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is how we start as citizens of the gospel. Jesus is how we carry on as citizens of the gospel. And Jesus is how we, Jesus is how we finish the race as citizens of the gospel. So first up then, verses 1 and 2, gospel identity. It's important that we don't skip past the opening greetings here. Because everything that is to follow, all the instruction and commands and exhortations in this letter, come from a starting place, a foundational identity of already being right with God in Christ. So verse 1, Paul and Timothy are servants of Christ Jesus, and he calls the Philippians and their church leaders God's holy people. Now, that was the Old Testament title for Israel, the nation of people that God set apart as holy, set apart for himself as his own. But now, Paul uses it to describe anyone who has thrown their lot in with Jesus. So is that how you see yourself? Because if you're a Christian, that is what you are. Holy people of God. And I'm sure you're often a rat bag, just like me. But hidden in Jesus, him covering over our sins and gifting to us his record of right, righteousness, in God's sight, we are set apart as belonging to him. That's our objective status our starting point. My status has changed last week. Uh, I got this letter from APRA. That's the body that registers health professionals. And I'd let my registration as a radiographer lapse um, as I became a full-time pastor. But to be on the safe side in coping with COVID-19, they've automatically re-registered people like me who only recently deregistered. So I could, in theory, once again, x-ray people. And that is just a fact. It's my status. If you are a Christian, you are one of God's holy people. That is your status. That is just a fact. Verse 2, Paul says, grace and peace. I sometimes sign off emails like that. In the book, Very British Problems, it tells you what those seemingly meaningless email sign-offs mean. What they actually mean. So kind regards means I'm on our autopilot. Warmest regards means I'm a bit odd. Regards means I can't be bothered. 
But grace and peace mean something. They're bringing together two huge theological concepts. So grace is the source of our salvation and peace is the results of it. Grace, God's undeserved kindness in all that he has done for us in Jesus. Him coming to us whilst we were still his enemies. That is how we're saved, by grace. And the result of that, the result of our salvation is peace. Peace with God and peace with people. Knowing that ultimately, in the end, we are fundamentally more than okay with God. So that's the solid ground that Paul is is not telling us how to get to, but rather the solid, signed off, permanent citizenship that we enjoy right now as disciples of Jesus. That's our starting point. That's our gospel identity. So next, our gospel partnership. Paul's writing to the Philippians from prison, and that would mean that they would be getting a bad reputation for being associated with him. They had every reason to abandon him, and yet Paul can remain thankful and full of affection for him because they've stood by him. He's thankful for their partnership and for their progress. First, partnership. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership in the gospel. Well, from Paul's point of view, he's doing his thing, preaching and being put in prison for it and then carrying on preaching anyway. And they're doing their thing that is just as important a part of the whole gospel project. They've sent Epaphroditus with a care, like a care package to provide for Paul's needs in prison. And that was how they could best, at that point, partner in getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Partnership is about wholehearted, active commitment and, and ownership. So partnership say, says my church, not your church or the church. Partnership says not how is church reaching people with Jesus, but how am I reaching people with Jesus and helping my church to do that as well. I expect as our services are online, lots of people watching are checking us out to see if you like us. And if that's you, welcome. It's really good to have you with us. But let me say, gospel partnership is not about being a consumer looking for a church that gives you sufficient warm fuzzies and ticks enough boxes that mean you'll enjoy it enough to stick with it. No, gospel partnership is about everyone pitching in taking ownership and responsibility to use who God has made you to be to help people fall in love with Jesus and to grow in him for God's glory. Church is not about being a spectator like watching a game of football where you boo or cheer depending on how much you like what you see going on in front of you. No, in church we're all players now, some in like people in my position are player captains, yes, but we're all players, all with our role to play. The only spectators 
are our family and friends who don't yet know Jesus. And we're praying that they'll want to get on the pitch and join in. So Paul is thankful for their partnership and for their progress. Verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That day of Christ Jesus is the day when Jesus will return to judge the world and gather those who belong to, to him and make us perfect, ready for a perfect existence with him forever. So all of our evil and nasty bits dealt with and done away with. Only the good bits to enjoy for eternity with God and his perfect goodness. So a big theme of this letter is how having our minds set on that future hope helps us set the right priorities and live for Jesus in the here and now. And Paul is confident that the Philippians will keep progressing on their way there. He's confident because it is God who began that work in them, God who continues that to grow them, and God who will complete them in becoming gospel citizens of heaven. Wonder, have you got any half finished projects around your home? I know I have. And it seems seems to be tradies who are the worst at this. Maybe they hate bringing the work home with them. Sharon's dad was a joiner, and when we were sorting out old photographs the other day, she pointed out how she had these spectacular fitted wardrobes he built, amazing, great quality. Well, every single one without the doors that he never got around to doing. But we are God's project, and he doesn't leave things half done. Just think of the grand sweep of the Bible, God's big picture. Creation, fall, flood, makes a covenant. There's an exodus from Egypt. We're in the promised land. There's a temple, kings, prophets, exile, return. God the Son, Jesus, becoming one of us so he can suffer and die in our place. Sending his spirit to live in us, making us born again spiritually, rewriting our hearts, adopting us as his children, and the promise of Jesus' return in a new heaven and earth combined. God's not now going to say, you know what? I don't think I can be bothered finishing this little project of this human. It's all too hard. No, God chose you before time itself began and chosen you will stay until you are made perfect at the end of time. And God promises to be at work in you to make you increasingly more like Jesus along the way. So don't give up because God won't give up on you. Don't worry too much about how restricted we are in being church together with COVID-19 around because it's the same God who began his work in us, who is still in us, working in us, to keep us progressing, regardless of the circumstances. If you're looking for a perfect church with no problems, I'd advise you to jog on because we're not it. But if you're looking for a church that's looking to grow and progress as we love Jesus and love each other. Well, that's what we're on about. That's what we're trusting God to do in us. That's what we're joining in with wholeheartedly so far as it's up to us. So gospel identity, gospel partnership, and now Paul writes with gospel love. This gospel partnership isn't a dry 
intellectual exercise, head only, but a feeling, affectionate partnership. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. When I got that letter about being re-registered as a radiographer, got me reminiscing about my old shift group at the RA. So your shift group are the people you do late shifts and night shifts, things like that with. And you form deeper bonds of friendship through shared trauma, through partnering together, through some crazily busy and pressured shifts together. Well, that's the kind of feeling Paul's got for the Philippians. Now, don't worry if you aren't the most affectionate person like me. You won't be left lacking as a Christian. See, Paul and you and I are provided with, verse 8, the affection of Christ Jesus. And I think we're feeling that affection more than usual at the moment. Us being physically kept apart is highlighting for us how thankful we are for each other. And I'm extremely thankful for the way you have all stepped up in your feeling and your care and your love for one another through this health crisis in a way that's meant us not just surviving, but continuing to grow. So thank you. Now, I'm a British male, so I'm genetically predisposed not to reveal it. But I have for you Christ's affection. Finally, Paul prays and looks forward to their gospel fruit. The really unusual thing about this letter of Paul's is that he's got hardly any correcting or rebuking to do. There is a bit later on, they're not a perfect church, but compared to say the Corinthians or the Galatians, the church at Philippi is a show church, you know, like the star pupil. So what does Paul still want for them? What does God want for his church? He wants them to grow in the quantity and the quality of their love. Verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In all his prison letters, Paul always prays that they may love one another more. And in every letter in, we have of his in the Bible, he prays that they know they grow in the knowledge of God. And the two go together well, because he's not talking about a dry intellectual head knowledge, a, a list of cold doctrines to assent to. No, he's talking about relational knowledge of God. So if I ask you to go and get to know someone better, well, what will you do? Well, you go and hang out with them, spend time with them. You chat with them, listen to what they've got to say. And we can get to know Jesus through his words in the Bible and in the rest of the Bible, which is ultimately all about him. Paul's prayer is that as the Philippians grow in their knowledge of God, the result will be always knowing what the best thing to do is. So it's not about working out what is right and what is wrong, so much as working out from a list of things that are okay to do for God, which is the best, or as Bill and Ted would say, which is the most excellent. And we'll 
increasingly pick up what is best, what's most excellent, as we grow in a knowledge of depth of insight into God. So it's like if you ask my wife Sharon what to get for my birthday. So imagine you told her you were going to get me a big cream cake. Well, Sharon would know me enough, have the depth of insight to tell you that no, he doesn't like cream, can't palate it. And he would much prefer a lemon meringue pie. 13th of June, just putting it out there. Lemon meringue pie. Keep getting to know Jesus through reading your Bible and praying and you'll grow in knowledge and depth of insight. And the result? Verse 10 and 11. You may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. When Jesus returns, you'll be found righteous, in right standing with God. And notice where that righteousness comes from. Through Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for his church. Even a good church, great church like Philippi. For you, for me, for us to grow in our love of each other, to grow in our love of Jesus, and for that to work out practically in every decision we make, being the best one for Jesus. And the big end result of that will be God being praised and glorified for the fruit he produces in us through Jesus. That is your trajectory. Hold on to that. So when you've let yourself and those around you down yet again, when it all seems too hard, you are not too hard for Jesus to sort out. So what makes a good gospel citizen? Well, it's one who knows their identity as God's holy one in Christ. One who partners in the gospel, actively engaged to bring all of who they are to help people fall in love with Jesus and grow in him. One who is growing in love of God and his people by getting to know God relationally through the Bible and through prayer. And one with their minds fixed on their certain future, confident of being made pure and blameless. Look, Jesus made you his gospel citizen. Jesus will grow you as his gospel citizen. And Jesus will make you the perfect gospel citizen when he returns.